0: Act One, Scene Two of No Thoroughfare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alan Chant. No Thoroughfare by Charles Dickens and Wilkie Collins. Act One, Scene Two. Enter The Housekeeper. The wine-merchant sat in his dining-room next morning, to receive the personal applications for the vacant post in his establishment. It was an old-fashioned wainscoted room, the panels ornamented with festoons of flowers carved in wood, with an oaken floor, a well-worn turkey carpet, and dark mahogany furniture, all of which had seen service and polish under Pebbleston nephew. The great sideboard had assisted at many business dinners given by Pebbleson nephew to their connection, on the principle of throwing sprats overboard to catch whales, and Pebbleson nephew's comprehensive three-sided plate warmer, made to fit the whole front of the large fireplace, kept watch beneath it over a sarcophagus-shaped cellaret that had, in its time, held many a dozen of Pebbleson nephew's wine, but the little rubicund old bachelor with a pigtail whose portrait was over the sideboard, and who could easily be identified as decidedly Pebbleston and decidedly not nephew, had retired into another sarcophagus, and the plate-warmer had grown as cold as he. So the golden and black griffins that supported the candelabra, with black balls in their mouths at the end of gilded chains, looked as if in their old age they had lost all heart for playing at ball, and were dolefully exhibiting their chains in the missionary line of inquiry, whether they had not earned emancipation by this time, and were not griffins and brothers. Such a columbus of a morning was the summer morning, that it discovered Cripple Corner. The light and warmth pierced in at the open windows, and irradiated the picture of a lady hanging over the chimney-piece, the only other decoration of the walls. "'My mother at five-and-twenty,' said Mr. Wilding to himself, as his eyes enthusiastically followed the light to the portrait's face. "'I hang up here, in order that visitors may admire my mother in the bloom of her youth and beauty. My mother at fifty I hang in the seclusion of my own chamber, as a remembrance sacred to me. "'Oh, it's you, Jarvis!' These latter words he addressed to a clerk who had tapped at the door and now looked in. "'Yes, sir. I merely wish to mention that it's gone ten, sir, and that there are several females in the counting-house.' "'Dear me!' said the wine-merchant, deepening in the pink of his complexion, and whitening in the white. "'Are there several? So many as several? I had better begin before there are more. "'I'll see them one by one, Jarvis, in the order of their arrival.' hastily entrenching himself in his easy-chair at the table, behind a great inkstand, stand having first placed a chair on the other side of the table opposite his own seat, Mr. Wilding entered on his task with considerable trepidation. He ran the gauntlet that must be run on any such occasion. There were the usual species of profoundly unsympathetic women, and the usual species of much too sympathetic women— There were buccaneering widows who came to seize him, and who gripped umbrellas under their arms, as if each umbrella were he, and each gripper had got him. There were towering maiden ladies who had seen better days, and who came armed with clerical testimonials to their theology, as if he were St. Peter with his keys. There were gentle maiden ladies who came to marry him, there were professional housekeepers, like non-commissioned officers, who put him through his domestic exercise instead of submitting themselves to catechism; there were languid invalids to whom salary was not so much an object as the comforts of a private hospital; there were sensitive creatures who burst into tears on being addressed, and had to be restored with glasses of cold water; there were some respondents who came two together a highly promising one, and a wholly unpromising one, of whom the promising one answered all questions charmingly, until it would at last appear that she was not a candidate at all, but only the friend of the unpromising one, who had glowered in absolute silence and apparent injury. At last, when the good wine-merchant's simple heart was failing him, there entered an applicant quite different from all the rest— A woman, perhaps fifty, but looking younger, with a face remarkable for placid cheerfulness, and a manner no less remarkable for its quiet expression of equability of temper. Nothing in her dress could have been changed to her advantage. Nothing in the noiseless self-possession of her manner could have been changed to her advantage. Nothing could have been in better unison with both than the voice when she answered the question— Uh, "'What name shall I have the pleasure of noting down?' "'With the words, "'My name is Sarah Goldstraw, Mrs. Goldstraw. "'My husband has been dead many years, and we have no family.' "'Half a dozen questions had scarcely extracted as much to the purpose from any one else. "'The voice dwelt so agreeable on Mr. Wilding's ear as he made his note "'that he was rather long about it.' When he looked up again, Mrs. Goldstraw's glance had naturally gone round the room, and now returned to him from the chimney-piece. Its expression was one of frank readiness to be questioned, and to answer straight. "'Will you excuse me asking you a few questions?' said the modest wine-merchant. "'Oh, surely, sir, or I should have no business here. "'Have you filled the station of housekeeper before?' "'Only once.' I have lived with the same widow lady for twelve years, ever since I lost my husband. She was an invalid, and is lately dead, which is the occasion of my now wearing black. "'I do not doubt that she has left you the best credentials,' said Mr. Wilding. "'I hope I may say the very best. I thought it would save trouble, sir, if I wrote down the name and address of her representatives, and brought it with me, laying a card on the table.' "'You singularly remind me, Mrs. Goldstraw,' said Wilding, taking the card beside him, "'of a manner and tone of voice that I was once acquainted with. Not of an individual, I feel sure of that, though I cannot recall what it is I have in my mind, but of a general bearing. I ought to add, it was a kind and pleasant one.' She smiled, and she rejoined. "'At least I am very glad of that, sir.' "'Yes,' said the wine-merchant, thoughtfully repeating his last phrase, with a momentary glance at his future housekeeper. It was a kind and pleasant one, but that is the most I can make of it. Memory is sometimes like a half-forgotten dream. I don't know how it may appear to you, Mrs. Goldstraw, but so it appears to me—' Probably it appeared to Mrs. Goldstraw in a similar light, for she quietly assented to the proposition— Mr. Wilding then offered to put himself at once in communication with the gentleman named upon the card, a firm of proctors in Doctors' Commons. To this Mrs. Goldstraw thankfully assented. Doctors' Commons not being far off, Mr. Wilding suggested the feasibility of Mrs. Goldstraw's looking in again, say, in three hours' time. Mrs. Goldstraw readily undertook to do so. In fine, the result of Mr. Wilding's inquiries being eminently satisfactory, Mrs. Goldstraw was that afternoon engaged, on her own perfectly fair terms, to come to morrow and set up her rest as housekeeper in Cripple Corner. End of Act One, Scene Two. Recording by Alan Chant of Tunbridge, Kent, England. www.sevenoaksprep.kent.org dot sh uk